Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times The things that we can all do to live a better life If times get tough, or even if they don't Dictated is almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. Today is Wednesday, August the 12th, 2009. And this is episode, I believe, 255 of the Survival Podcast. Broadcasting once again from my personal mobile studio. Anyway, folks... um, we're going to continue with the format that we've, uh, we seem to have established. I don't have a lot of objections to it, and that's a little, uh, current events, uh, intro, and then some housekeeping, and then on to the main body of the show. Today's main show is going to be kind of a mixed bag. I got a bunch of different stuff to talk to you about. Figured it's time for a change up, cover some different topics, talk about some things that have come up over the past couple of weeks, and, uh, get you thinking and, uh, how these things actually do apply to you, and what lessons you can learn from them, and how you can apply those to your lives. Um, though in the intro section, we'll continue with an ass clown of the day and a hero of the day. Um, somebody suggested that I call the hero of the day when they're a politician that did something right that usually doesn't. Like, let's say if I could actually find Barney Frank doing something right, that I would say, you know, he's a blind squirrel of the day, or uh, I don't know, John McCain doing something right. I might call him blind squirrel of the day, because I don't really like any of these idiots. Um... But in the last couple days, I haven't been able to find many politicians doing anything right, unless it's the things that they always do, so they haven't fit in. So I've got a normal person today as my hero. But let's start out with the ass clown of the day. Uh, the ass clown of the day, it was, I think it was Wall Street Journal or New York Post. I don't remember which one. It was a pretty big paper. Ran a story today. I'll put a link to it in the show notes to you, uh, for you today, so you can go check it out yourself. And they, they you know, surveyed a bunch of these brilliant economists. These are the same economists that... Uh, they didn't see the, the giant, huge, magnanimous depression coming. The stupid redneck coal miner like me saw coming. And uh, now we're supposed to listen to them again. And in this paper, most of the economists have said that the recession is over. Now, we've heard little rumblings of this before, but this is an economist panel put together by a prestigious newspaper, and they've told us, don't worry about the recession anymore, it's over. So if you lost your job, um, is it over for you? Uh, Forbes produced the August economic indicators and said that uh, interest rates are up. Uh, in the mortgage market, it's harder to buy than ever, and the new housing starts and home buying is down and refinancing is down. And not down as in duh, everything's down, down over the prior month. So is the recession over for you, or are these asshats clueless? Uh, we have cities out there creating their own currency now. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, what we can learn from it. Is the recession over for them? I mean... I'm just looking around at the massive amount of commercial real estate that I'm watching go vacant. And the impact of it hasn't even really been felt yet. And I'm wondering, is the recession over there? I'm thinking of the, you know, 
millions of people who have lost their jobs and can't seem to find another one yet. And I think there's work out there, um, but I don't think there's enough for everyone. And I'm wondering if the recession's over for them. And I'm wondering if these ass clowns actually believe what they're saying or they just think that it's a good idea to say it. Now, here's what makes them real ass clowns. Everybody's entitled to an opinion, except this opinion. If your opinion is this, I think you're an ass clown. And that is, well, Ben Bernanke should stick around. He's done a good job here. He's the one who fixed it. <laughs> And it ain't so much against old Ben, man. It's against the whole Federal Reserve. These idiots caused this. This is 100% orchestrated. Anyway, ask Cloud today. So let's go ahead and talk about something a little bit positive here. Uh, let's talk about our hero of the day. Our hero of the day is Francisco Reyes of Waukegan. Now, what is Francisco Reyes other than a citizen of the city of Waukegan? He's a hero because one of his neighbor's houses was on fire, burning into an inferno. And inside there was a kid and a mother. And Mr. Reyes, with no thought to his own personal safety, entered the property, got the child out, and then another unnamed person, or I'd name him as a hero too, came to Mr. Reyes's aid and helped him get the mother out of the home. He's a hero of the day. Now, here's what I want to point out about this. When I talk about survivalism and sensationalism, in a way, this is what I'm talking. The man is a hero. We should recognize him. But we talk about this uh, on the news and in newspapers and things like this is the exception rather than the rule. I'd like to believe that most of us out there put in the same situation would have done the same thing. It doesn't detract from the fact that this man risked his life to save another. My salute to you, sir. You are the survival podcast hero of the day. All right, next thing. Um, let's go ahead and do our housekeeping. Number one, make sure you're supporting our advertisers. They are supporting you. If you enjoy the show, know that they're helping to make it happen and they're helping to make it better. And uh, it is their participation along with yours as supporting members that make this show something that very, very soon I think I'm going to be able to make a full-time effort and do an even better job for you with uh, and be able to add additional things to it. They're also personal endorsements. Every advertiser on my side is a personal endorsement by me, and they've been uh, vetted by the moderator squad of about 30 top-notch moderators on my forum. They're my listener advertising council. They look at any advertiser and decide whether or not they meet mustard, and if they don't, they do not get on the site, even if they have a chicken hand. Uh, today's advertisers of the day are Tea Party Silver. Excellent, excellent material. Uh, uh, the, excellent material. Excellent, excellent coins. They're gorgeous, proof quality coins commemorating the Tea Party. Uh, I bought a handful of them before I even uh, let them on the site to look at them personally and hold them in my hand, and they are now part of my silver collection. I recommend you add at least a few to your collection of silver. Uh, they are a beautiful uh, thing, and they don't sell for that much over the spot price of a, of a silver uh, eagle anyway. Uh, so you get something of collector's value, something of beauty, and you have the, the value of silver underlying it. Other advertiser today is Safe Castle Royal. Uh, Safe Castle Royal offers a tremendous selection from the preparedness and survival industry. They also have a $19 uh, discount uh, membership. Lasts a lifetime and gives a huge discount on all of their products. If you become a supporting members brigade member, you'll get that discount uh, membership for free. 
So that'll be $19 of your value right there. Uh, next thing, though, if you've not joined our forum, come on. We're friendly. We don't bite, except for one of our moderators occasionally bites. But other than that, we're real friendly folks over at the forum, and I think uh, you'd get a lot out of it if you would come on and join our forum, join in the discussion, share your knowledge, and gain the knowledge of others. And last but not least, consider joining the Survival Podcast Member Support Brigade. If you do, you will get exclusive content available only to members. In addition to that lifetime $19 value that you'll get from free from Safecastle, you'll also get some uh, e-publications by James Talmadge Stevens, best-selling author ever in the preparedness industry, and uh, total retail value of freebies in the membership is $64, and the membership is either $5 a week or $50 a year, so it pays for itself in year one. All right, let's get on with the main body of the show today and in the intro segment and everything wrapped up in eight minutes there. I think the uh, advertising portion might have lasted two minutes for those of you that count. Because <laughs> I've been told by some I have too much commercialism now because uh, I endorse really good stuff that I think you should take a look at. To you people that think I have too many commercials, find a show that has less. Uh, but going on into the... the uh, the topic of the day, kind of a mixed bag, like I said. I want to talk to you about something that uh, made it, made the L.A. Times. And it's uh, cities that are basically creating their own currency. And the latest one is uh, from Pittsburgh, North Carolina, and it's called the Plenty. The Pittsburgh Plenty is a piece of paper with a denomination on it that you can go to certain places in Pittsburgh and spend just like real money. Real money. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, what's interesting about this is that the, the cities just decided they were going to do it, and they did it, and no one's stopping them. And there's a reason that no one's stopping them. It's because they're wrapped in an envelope. You see... Um, you can't take a Pittsburgh Plenty to another city in, in North Carolina and spend it. You definitely couldn't spend it outside the state of North Carolina. Probably nobody would take it. You start getting into interstate commerce with a script of paper, then the federal government come in and say that you're counter, uh, counterfeiting. And they'd probably have a pretty legitimate case. If they didn't, they'd make it legitimate. But... For private people to accept exchange for goods or services in barter for anything, including a piece of paper with a picture and a number on it, is completely acceptable as long as both sides are aware that the paper is fundamentally worthless. It's just basically I'm agreeing to give you some stuff and you're going to give me something and the paper's not a promise for anything and it's completely fake money, but since we're all aware of that and we're all okay with it, then nobody really can do anything about it if it's at a town or city level. And as long as it's not being used exclusively to try to create tax fraud or anything like that. And as long as nobody's being mandated to take it. See, that's what makes it a currency. It's passing it off as an equivalent currency or saying, if you work for me, I'm going to pay you in plenties. And you don't have any choice. Right, so none of that's the case. There's about fifteen thousand dollars worth, fifteen thousand plenty's worth of these things floating around in uh, Pittsburgh, North Carolina. Now, 
What is the irony here, folks? For those of you that know how the Federal Reserve and the money system in the United States works, it might have sounded like I was describing the United States dollar there, and in some ways it was. The only thing missing for this thing is the backing of the federal government um, and a private bank. There's no bank involved, and there's no major government involvement, and there's no promise at the end of the day for anything, but the promise is empty if there's nothing back in it. I think that this local currency stuff is teaching us something if we'll only learn. I think for most people it's a novelty, and I think for a lot of people that understand the Federal Reserve, it's the middle finger to the Fed. You know, screw you, we'll, we'll print our own money too. But I think if we really look at this, maybe we can learn some here. I mean, let me ask you, is what Pittsburgh is doing any better than what the Federal Reserve is doing? Is it any more sustainable? Is a Pittsburgh plenty backed by a commodity? Is it backed by anything? No. I guess the one thing that they've done up till now is they've limited the production of the plenty and the distribution of the plenty. But if it took off and inside of Pittsburgh the plenty became preferred to the dollar, is there a limit on production then? Couldn't you do it? Can you ever make the plenty worth dollars where you can go outside of your little fiefdom and exchange it? Probably not. But, it is interesting, isn't it? Isn't it interesting that basically by an agreement between human beings, a worthless piece of paper can become worth something. In fact, solid commodities. In fact, you'll be able to take your Pittsburgh Plenty down to the Piggly Wiggly. And yeah, I didn't make that up. It's a grocery store in the South. For those of you that aren't from the South, you might think it's a joke. But the Piggly Wiggly in Pittsburgh will take your Pittsburgh Plenty and you can buy yourself a plentiful bounty of... I don't know, parsnips, right? Say that six times fast. Uh, but yeah, you'll be able to take your Pittsburgh Plenty down to the Piggly Wiggly and buy groceries with it. And quite a few other merchants will take it. Now, this is not new. This went on during the Great Depression because there wasn't any money at all. Right? Once people were just broke, is there, nobody had any money inside these towns. Uh, so they did it for that reason. This is being done for a different reason. But this is not new now. There's a city called Ithaca, New York. And if you're wondering if that's where they make the wonderful, or used to make the wonderful Ithaca shotguns, it is. And Ithaca has had a system called the Hours System for a very long time. And a lot of these towns are basing what they're doing on the Ithaca system. Now the Ithaca Hour, and they covered their ass, is backed by labor. There are certain professionals that have committed to providing services at an hourly rate within the city of Ithaca based and backed in hours. So if a lawyer, for instance, has said that my rate for reviewing papers, small town, is 50 hours per hour, right? 
that means that your hours, you go to his law office and have him re- review some paperwork for you, and he says, okay, it's just a two-hour job, and that's $50 an hour. You give him $50 U.S. and 50 hours in Ithaca, and he's committed to taking it. So they've backed it with a commodity of labor. So I think the Ithaca hour is a more legitimate form of currency than the United States dollar right now. And maybe some of these other towns should look at that. But what I think we need to learn as modern survivalists, as preppers, as people that don't want to have our money devalued, is that if anybody can just take a piece of paper and through a mutual agreement assign a value to it, and that value can be readily accepted, that the stability of any fiat currency must come into question, and you need to have solid assets backing your portfolio of investments. And that includes gold and silver. That absolutely includes gold and silver. Now, I just wonder what would ever happen if a city decided to start issuing script against silver and said that, you know, in the town of uh, Fakeville, Fakeville in, uh, you know, Kentucky, Fakeville, Kentucky, I hope that doesn't really exist, tried to make it up, that um, a $5, let's do something a little more realistic, $50 in uh, Fakeville fakes uh, is exchangeable at the Fakeville Bank, $50 in silver. All right, now, nobody was going to point out the Free Lakota Bank where they take silver rounds and all, but that's exchanging the silver physically. If somebody starts issuing paper against that silver somewhere, that would be accepted as a form of currency outside of the state or city. And I wonder what the federal government would do about that. I don't think they would take too kindly about it. But I'll put a link to this story. It showed up on Lou Rockwell today. And I'll put a link to uh, the site about Ithaca Hours where a lot of this stuff's coming and being based on. Take a look at it. Think about it. Just think about, one, how interesting it could be to get creative with this and create our own currency systems throughout the country and basically decide to back things based on labor or solid good or anything that we chose to that's more real than nothing or other fiat currencies that have been loaned to us that are also based on nothing. And think about what it means to you when you're looking at a stack of dollars. doesn't mean you throw them away, but it means you don't leave them all in that form. All right, so I wanted to bring that up to you today. Uh, next, I want to talk about the colony. Uh, the colony is a reality TV show, if you could call it reality. It's not reality, but folks, it's more reality than most of the ones that I've looked at so far. And uh, last night, and if you haven't watched it, you probably want to watch it to get more out of these reviews, or at least go listen to my other reviews of it so you kind of come up to speed. But last night, they uh, decided they were going to take care of the security that they had been letting slack for a long time. And uh, Joey, I think the guy's name is, stepped up and said, basically, he's an ex-con, so he understands security. And I think ex-cons do understand security and took the lead in that. I think they did some good things in improving their security. Um, they built a flamethrower from a propane tank and a solenoid valve. It's not a very mobile flamethrower. I guess it has some functionality and usefulness, but uh, I don't know how useful it really is going to be. Um, Hopefully they won't hurt any of the marauders with it because this isn't actually reality. And I think some of them are starting to find their roles to the point where they're convincing themselves that it is a lot more real than it is, which is part of the experiment, but it's also uh, a danger. It's a danger to all participants 
on all sides. Uh, the marauders, as they were, the people harassing them, uh, can't hurt them, can't touch them, but they don't know that. And they're making some pretty lethal weapons. One guy built some claymore mines, but they're designed to expel uh, like a flour and water mixture, which uh, I don't know if that's the best use of your food, but I guess you got to do something. And I don't know, maybe they're assuming that if they hit somebody with that, somebody from the, uh, the production crew will basically just run out and say, hey, you know what? You're dead. You have to leave them alone now. I, I don't know what they're thinking there. But there were some real mistakes last night. And as you know, I'm a fan of this show in spite of the stupidity. I think the stupidity is what teaches us. Um, but one of the big pieces of stupidity is there's a girl in this. I don't even remember her name, but she's a martial artist. That's her deal. Um, self-defense instructor, and that's the uh, the value, if any, that she brings to the crew. And I think she's beginning to question her worth and feels that she needs to establish it based on her knowledge and her expertise. Um, my concern with that is that I don't know how valuable a self-defense instructor is to a group like that in a 10-week scenario, which is what they're dealing with. That's exactly what they're dealing with is 10 weeks, nothing more, nothing less. And I think they know that. And my point about that is you can't teach people a hell of a lot in the realm of martial arts in 10 weeks. And you certainly can't teach them in a couple of days. Now, what's my point? She went out and... um, Sorry, folks, I'm dealing with uh, getting around a police officer here. Anyway, uh, she went out and built a gym inside the compound, which was basically fixing up some flooring and hanging a bag full of dirt from the ceiling and using some chains, more on the chains in a second, but quite a bit of chain to hang this bag of dirt from the ceiling. And then she proceeded to start giving people martial arts training. Now, I noticed that the only people that took her training were the women. Um, The one girl was doing a jab that probably would have got her wrist broke if she put any force behind it. And basically, her training looked like teaching people to punch and kick the bag with no real organization behind it. And uh, they made a big deal out of her with her uh, shin kicks uh, to the bag. I'm sorry, folks. Um, You're dealing with armed marauders, large men, motorcycles, vehicles. Uh, They are having people start to show up with weapons and guns. Um, Teaching someone to kick a dirt bag uh, for a day or two isn't going to do anything except get them killed. And if you're a martial artist, I don't want to insult you, but you know how long you worked to become proficient at your art. And it isn't something you can transfer to somebody in a day or two. She's going to be teaching them anything. It should be about breaking holds um, and grappling techniques because those are the things that are going to be most important, not kicking a bag. And one of the guys got pretty pissed off about it. They got into a big fight, and I'm 100% against men ever putting hands on women, 100%. But when she said to him, well, you want to go to the gym and find out, I was thinking, man, I'd love him to see him, him to just say to her, you know, what? If I go in there, will you and knock you out? Will you shut up already? Because let me tell you what, those those uh, chains that she used to hang that bag up, uh, those chains uh, attached to about a uh, one foot piece of lead pipe or a steel pipe, about a foot of chain coming out the end of them, uh, becoming basically a sidearm for these people and teaching them to use the pipe as a baton and the chain as a weapon. Um, 
and teaching them basic takedowns using strikes to uh, the the the, uh, the abdomen, the legs, and the arms uh, could have been done in a day, and it would be a hell of a lot more effective than anything hand to hand that this pinhead is teaching these uh, these uh, few women uh, that really don't have an aptitude, from what I can see, for self defense in the limited time period that's there. They only have so many time and resources. I think she's wasting them. The time to learn physical self-defense is before the shit hits the fan, not after it. If it's after it, you can start working on it, but find a weapon and learn to use the weapon effectively. Uh, Next, they had some guys show up with uh, a barter arrangement, and uh, that's where the big conflict with this martial arts twit is what I'm going to call her, uh, came from with Mike. They're trying to get the deal done and get these guys to leave, and he said, give them all the freaking, they wanted the oranges, and they had basically already made the rest of the deal. Give them all the oranges, and she came out with half the oranges and took forever to do it. He went back and he said, the reason we're giving them all the oranges is they're starting to go bad, and we get them for free off the side of the highway and there's a whole bunch of them still there. Now, you got to understand that these guys are armed with multiple firearms and uh, these guys don't know the rules. Now, they know they're not going to be shot. Let's be honest about that. But there could be something in their head that I could be simulate shot and eliminated from the show and maybe I don't want that. Who knows? But you know what? When you've made a trade with guys that have a 50 caliber machine gun trained on you, and they've been legit in their trade up till now, and they say we also want some oranges before we leave, you give them the freaking oranges. Because if you don't do what they want, when they once you put yourself into that situation of barter with them, you do not have firearms. They have superior firearms, and they appear to be legit with you. Ticking them off may turn it around to where they go, you know what? Everybody get on the ground. Or they just shoot you and they take everything you have. Alright? So, when you're in a barter situation like that, and you're in an inferior position, um, and a guy wants a few oranges before he leaves, you give him the freaking oranges. And you learn that in military survival training, folks. That is, that, I watched that last night, and it looked just like survival training I went through in the military. Where they sent out simulated bandits to barter with us when we were half starving. And uh, you know what happens there? When you say no, uh, the guy says bang verbally, and you've just been shot in the leg, and your buddies have to drag your ass through the rest of the exercise. That's what would have happened if that was a military exercise. But it's very, very close to the type of military exercise you get in a survival situation where they simulate locals coming in to barter with you. When you are unarmed and they are armed, or they are more superiorly armed than you are, or your operations orders dictate that you cannot harm them, but they don't have any such operational orders. Additionally, now remember, there's ten people in this scenario. And uh, initially they handled it right. Two people went out to cut the deals, and the other people were supporting them by bringing the stuff to the doors. And uh, that was working well until they cut the first deal and they started to feel comfortable, and then they basically brought everybody outside with nobody left inside. Now, there's, now they're supposed to be focused on security this week. There's no way to know if those guys had a whole bunch more people and the bartering is a distraction and they could have uh, taken everything from their facility. The exchange I also thought was very good. Very, very good. They traded a jackhammer and an air compressor for a generator of five gallons of gasoline. Um... That was that was a good trade. I don't think it was very realistic, but hell, you're in the game. If they're willing to trade, I would have I would have done that too. A generator, five gallons of gas. Um, 
They also got some comfort items and some other food items. They got some chickens, which uh, hopefully those chickens actually freaking lay eggs. There's no way to know. Uh, but, you know, if they got to go with some chickens now, they're in some pretty good shape from a food standpoint. At least getting some eggs out of the chickens. And if the chickens don't lay eggs, well, you know what to do with the chickens. Now, I don't know if they're going to feed the chickens. Uh, they traded some canned goods and some other stuff. Overall, I thought it was a good trade. They did give them 157 oranges. I want to speak up a little bit in favor of the uh, of the martial arts chick. If they had come out with a shopping cart with 100 oranges in it, there's no way those guys wouldn't have known, and they could have kept 50 of their oranges before they had to go foraging for more again and put themselves at risk. So she did have a point there um, as well. Now, all that said, um, I still think this show is one of these shows where you're going to see people do a hell of a lot more wrong than right, but I think that's the whole point, folks, is to learn from what they're doing wrong, and uh, kudos to the guy, Mike, who uh, actually got this old truck running, and I think they're uh, they're going to try to get out of there eventually. It looks like you're going to be doing a solar project next week, uh, so you may want to watch that. They're going to strip some solar panels off a building. I still want to know why they didn't take all the solar panels off the street signs on the way into the compound, but what do I know? Anyway, so there we go. There's your wrap-up of the colony, and uh, we're not done yet. We're going to keep going. But again, I want to reiterate, see what you can learn from this show and think about these situations. Martyr situations are something that if we have a true, total shit at the fan like it's being simulated here, we're going to have to deal with. And you're going to have to trust people. And you're also going to have to protect yourself and be smart. And if you ever end up with a group of people, never expose everybody. Never expose everybody. And don't think that martial arts is going to save your ass when a guy has a gun. Arm yourself. That's the big things that I think you can take away from this week's episode. Speaking of arm, arm yourself, we are having a discussion on the forum after uh, my interview with James Yeager about home defense shotguns and home defense rifles. And I want to tell you some things that I've come to uh, believe since maybe my first comments about a shotgun for home defense a long, long time ago. A long time ago, in the heat of a moment, and I was pretty passionate as I get sometimes, I said that, hell, I think you're better off with six shot for home defense than buckshot. Less over penetration. You ever end up in front of a jury because of some jackass? You can say, hey, I'm just lucky I had it around. It's a squirrel gun. I used what I had to shoot him with. But um, shooting a home invader that also happens to be armed that can shoot you back is only useful if your shot stops the attack. And usually that means, unfortunately, you have to kill the assailant. So I've been looking at some penetration testing with birdshot. I haven't looked at it with six, but I don't think it's going to be much different. But seven and a half in the ballistic gelatin goes about five inches. Now, a five-inch hole in your chest, make no mistake about it, will kill you, especially one that's uh, 12 gauge in diameter with multiple fragmentation and wound channels like a shotgun will make. However, um, the ballistic gelatin doesn't have ribs in it. And my sincere belief after watching a lot of different penetration tests with birdshot with a shotgun is I sure as hell don't want to get shot with it. There's a damn good chance being shot at close range with that would be lethal. But I don't want to bet my life on it. I think when those little tiny pellets hit flat ribs, that's going to vastly reduce the penetration. And in many ways, it may not penetrate sufficient to stop the attack. 
That's not what I want to rely on. Now, the guy's charging me physically fine. I'll put three in him. And I guarantee you the last one, when he's two inches from the barrel, is going to do everything that it needs to do. But that guy might be armed. And if that guy's armed, that's enough time for him to shoot me back. If he's got a knife, it's enough time for him to put a knife in me. It's enough time for me to get hurt. So I've changed my view to a minimum for shotgun home defense being number four buck, and double O may be a better way to go. And over-penetration can be an issue, but I want to talk about that here again just in a second with some things I think we leave out when we talk about over-penetration and uh, some thoughts about that. But before we do that, I also want to talk about the fact that there's been a lot of discussion about using the AR as a home defense round. And I just want to clarify something. There's a lot of people out there saying that if you use a 223 round or a 5.56 millimeter round um, in a home defense situation, it hits a wall, it fragments so so badly from the impact because of its high velocity um, that over-penetration is not a big issue. I agree. If you're using an expanding bullet. James Yeager, who's been debating with me a little bit on this, recommends Corbon uh, ammunition for this. I wholeheartedly agree. I think it's a great home defense round. That is a Barnes X bullet. It is basically a handgun round. Okay, I know people won't believe me, but it is. Go look it up. Look up Corbon 223 and read the description. Um, it is a solid copper round with a big X in it. And it expands like nobody's business. And at 223 velocities, it is going to be a very unlikely candidate for overpenetration. Um, I'm a fan of just about any expanding round in the 55 to 60 gra- 62, 60, uh, 62 grain range for AR for home defense if you're going to use that. It's not my preference. I prefer a shotgun. But I wouldn't fault anybody for it. I just want to be very clear that this fragmentation stuff does not apply to your ball ammunition. That 5,000 rounds of South African ball ammo that some article by some somebody that's very clear on the details has said, don't worry about it, it, it will it'll fragment. Um, I, know of, I know of firsthand of an individual in a combat scenario that was hit at a, at a kind of a quartering angle from the right side in the right ass cheek where uh, this guy was shooting at somebody and as the moving uh, forces managed to flank him, uh, one of the uh, U.S. troops managed to get kind of to the rear and quartering on him and only could see his leg, so shot him in his leg. Uh, from a distance, I believe the distance was reported at about 40 meters. So basically ended up shooting him in his right ass cheek. The bullet hit the femur, turned upwards, traveled on an angle, and came out of kind of, if you take your left hand, touch your neck, and move down to your collarbone, and that space between your collarbone and your neck, that hollow spot right there where if you push on it, it hurts a little bit, that's where the round came out and took pieces of his lung out of that hole. And my point is that when people say bullets do this or bullets do that, they don't know. Bullets do weird, freaking things. I shot a um, about 160, 170-pound psycho buck uh, down in South Texas. Psycho is a type of deer. It's an exotic deer. Uh, they look like a little elk. I shot that deer about seven years ago. I shot it with a 7mm Remington Magnum pushing 165 grain Sierra boat tail. A very proven bullet, a very powerful round, 
a very high velocity. Uh, the animal's quartering on. I shot the front shoulder blade. Uh, 99 times out of 100, probably 999 times out of 1,000. That bullet would have smashed that front shoulder blade, carried through at a rear angle through the lungs, and dropped the animal and anchored it where it stood. It anchored it where it stood in a very weird way that required a finishing shot. The bullet hit the uh, the shoulder blade. If you've ever uh, butchered a deer, there's on a shoulder blade, there's kind of a V point where two raised bridges of bone come down to meet the blade. Hit right about there, right in that little notch. Bullet turned 90 degrees up, broke the animal's spine as it exited through the spine. And it laid on the ground flailing, and I had to do something I hate to do, and that's take a second shot on an animal that was in agony that should have been killed by the first bullet. Now, does that mean that a 7mm Magnum with a 165 grain Sierra boat tail is a bad piece of uh, ammunition? No, it's a very, very good piece of ammunition. It's an excellent flat shooting round. A lot of Western hunters use it. A lot of people have taken elk with it. A lot of people have taken elk with that round. No problem. Anchored them where they stood. But bullets do weird things. So I just want to make sure that people don't believe that anything is always when it comes to firing a high-speed projectile. Now, on the over-penetration, James made a comment in our little debate on the forum, and just so you guys know, I love James. Uh, But one was, if you're worried about missing your target, take some training. I think he's got a good point. And uh, I want to make sure when you say, I say over-penetration, I talk about all these things. I'm about a miss. All right, a miss. Once it's gone through a human torso, any of those rounds tend to slow down a lot and are affected a lot differently by a wall. And a lot of that, even that uh, ball ammo, is not coming out the backside. Because it'll tumble and turn and twist when it hits bone. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So I think he's got a huge point there. And I want to point out something else. You know your home. You know its layout. You know where everything is. And you should know it better than anybody that ever invades it. I think one of the things that you maybe need to do is occasionally walk around your home and understand where everybody is during the most likely time for a burglary, which you know where you're worried about overpenetration, which is at night, where your kids are sleeping in bed. And uh, between making sure that you are effectively ready to take your target out and knowing the layout of your home, you should be able to mitigate that. I don't care what you're shooting. And uh, last but not least, I wanted to spell a myth that I hear a lot, and I don't think most informed people believe this, but I think a lot of people that are new to guns and are told this believe this, that if you have a shotgun with a cylinder bore and you're pointing it at a bad guy, all you have to do is get a general facility with, you know, with, with buck, and you're going to hit him because you're going to get this big wide pattern. Uh, average distance in a home defense situation is about 15 feet. That's three yards. That's three steps. The pattern from a shotgun at that distance, even with a cylinder bore, even if it's sawed off to 10 inches long, is smaller than the diameter of your fist. You have to be accurate with your shots. You have to point directly at the part of the target that you want to shoot. So understand that. That is extremely important that people understand that. Um, and uh, that rackety rack sound of a, of a pump gun, it does have an intimidating effect. It will not make the bad guy fall down on the ground and quiver like jello. 
It actually gives away your position, so you may want to think about whether you really want to do that or not. You ever notice on TV how the guy's always pumping the gun? Then he goes around the other wall. He goes around the next wall. Then he kicks the door. Boom. Right, he's pumped at like 14. All his shells would be on the ground by now. Uh, <laughs> I just had to throw that in there. But, you know, let's I think we need to do is stop overthinking some of this stuff. The right ammunition for home defense is the ammunition that's most uh, useful in the weapon you're carrying to end the fight quickly by making the bad guy dead before he makes you or your family dead. And that's what it really comes down to. And the best way to avoid overpenetration, make sure you hit your target and know the outlay of your home. All right, let's go on from there. I got one more thing I want to talk about to you today. And I think this is an interesting one. And uh, it was something I also saw on TV last night. It's something I've never talked about, and I thought, you know, I really should talk about this. And it's the, uh, for those of you that are going to move out to the backwoods eventually, or already live out in the backwoods, or uh, even just take camping trips once in a while, this is something you should know about. And it's what I call non-dangerous, dangerous animals. Let me ask you a question. When you think about going out in the wilderness, you're going to go out in the, the woods somewhere, are you afraid of... The fox. Right? The fox. Fox is about 20 inches long. Little tiny dog-like creature. Head's about as big as a... If you take your hand and kind of straighten it out and make it sort of cupped and look at it, it's about the size of a fox's head, average man's hand. Relatively small mouth. Very sharp teeth. Sharp claws. But do you walk around in fear that you will be charged by a fox. Probably not. You're probably going, the hell is wrong with Jack today? A fox is going to get me? Um, there were well over 100 fox attacks in the United States last year. 100. Absolutely none were fatal. But over 100 fox attacks. Why is this important? Uh, what do you think makes a fox attack a person? Is it because the person attacks the fox? Is it because the fox is angry at Healthcare system. Or do you think maybe it's because the fox has rabies? If you picked option C, the fox has rabies, you were correct. Foxes are one of the uh, the most often infected um, animals around that get infected with rabies. And when they're in kind of the nearing the final stage of rabies, they become very, very aggressive. This happens to coyotes and raccoons as well. But it seems to happen more with foxes where they actually attack people. And uh, they will charge people. They get very, very aggressive, and they will bite. And the important thing to understand is if that happens, one, you've got to fight the animal off. You can't laugh and think, oh, it's just a fox. If you ever see a fox or a raccoon or any of these smaller animals that we generally don't think of as dangerous coming at you in an aggressive manner, take defensive action immediately. Try to avoid being bit because you're going through a series of rabies shots if you are. Um, they will start your treatment whether or not the fox is tested positive because they'll start your treatment before um, the animal is even um, been tested because they can't risk it. Rabies untreated is always fatal in human beings. Or let's say there's been one or two people in the history of the world that were believed to have rabies that survived, but call it 99.9%. I don't want to try to be the 100th of 1% that's going to make it. You need immediate treatment if you're attacked by such an animal. But I want you to be aware of that because it's, it's absolutely freaking crazy that we should have to worry about being attacked by a gray fox 
on a trip to uh, to the national park. But you may very well end up in that situation. I think it's a, it's a reason that when you're in these situations, you should always be armed to some degree. If you can be armed with a sidearm, that's probably best. If you can be armed with a rifle, it's even better. But, you know, it's a larger implement to carry, so a sidearm is maybe a better thing just from a, a practical standpoint of the situation. But if you can't, I mean, if I was being attacked by a fox, I'd rather have a walking stick than be trying to kick him while he's biting my ankles. Uh, you can't underestimate the ferocity of even a small animal like a raccoon or a fox. I've I've heard of accounts of fairly, fairly large raccoons killing dogs that were twice their size. Now, you wouldn't want to fight, you know, a 90-pound coon hound. But a 40-pound raccoon in the right situation will kill that dog. That tells you something about the danger they pose. So I know this isn't a typical subject, but it is something we need to be aware of. I think a lot of us go out into the woods to kind of test our uh, our bug-out gear on occasion. A lot of us just like to do it. It's something that's probably close to home for a lot of people. A lot of us live in you know rural areas. We're putting in farms. We're putting in bug-out locations. That brings us into contact with wildlife, and we worry about things like bears, and in certain parts of the United States, we worry about cougars. We worry about snakes. We worry about insects like black widows, brown recluse, scorpions, but we tend to overlook the simple things. Now, a lot of times it's the simple things. It's the things that you don't think can harm you that really can. So be aware of the attack fox, as silly as it sounds. And with that, I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap up today's show. I know I went all over the place today, but that was the idea. I have a really cool topic picked out for tomorrow. The show will be 100% dedicated to it. I'll be giving you some practical things that you can do to keep on improving your situation in life. Until then, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream And you can holler It really doesn't matter Cause it all gets spent